Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Recorded at WeWork in Midtown Toronto, this is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, hosted by Adam LeVinter. E2 is the podcast where great entrepreneurs tell their story. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed. We speak to all kinds of creators, pioneers, and entrepreneurs doing amazing things in business and beyond. This episode is brought to you by Unbound Merino. Unbound offers the highest quality antibacterial and odor-resistant merino wool clothing that helps you pack light when you travel, save money, and enjoy the comfort of incredible merino wool t-shirts, hoodies, and more. Visit unboundmerino.com. That's unboundmerino.com. Pack less, experience more. Today on the show is Mitchell Stern, co-founder of Station, a Canadian category leader in cold brew coffee and a beverage company at the forefront of quality and function. Today, we talk about the company's rise of its amazingly popular Station cold brew coffee, how Mitch and his two other co-founders came to the CPG world without any prior industry experience, the advantage of being naive entrepreneurs, regulating emotions like anxiety, fear, and depression, the exciting world of CBD and other budding beverage trends, and so much more. And with that, here is my great chat with Station Brew's Mitchell Stern. Take us back to sort of the origin story of Station Brew uh, in 2013. And did, did you have clarity on core values right from the beginning? Um, yeah, I, I think kind of. I, I'm not sure we were verbalizing it at the time. Um, but I think one thing that's been really special about what we've been doing is that Mike and Steve and I um, really all aligned on, on the vision from the beginning. And that was, you know, the most important thing is, is the quality of the product we're producing. We've We've never been willing to compromise on that quality. Over the years, we've had, we've had many occasions in which we've been asked or tested to compromise the quality of the product we're producing. And whether that be through you know, going to a co-packer who's going to produce the product for us and obtaining a longer shelf life because it's pasteurized, that might be uh, you know, a coffee supplier who, who comes to us and says they can reduce our costs by 30%. You know, we've, it's funny when those circumstances have, have come up for us, it's amazing how quickly we've been to turn them down. Uh, And that's because that would compromise one of our core values, which is the quality of the product we're producing. And, and a lot of that uh, from a liquid perspective stems from Mike because he's, he's, you know, the one overseeing uh, the production and the brewing of the coffee itself. Speaking of quality, which has notoriously been, synonymous i'd say in your category in general with i guess lower quality stuff when we think about traditional cold brew how did station brew change the narrative and and where are you guys sourcing from and what separates you from what's typically out there we had this idea really early on that in coffee in general there's there's a gap and uh the idea of quality and convenience those two things were somewhat mutually exclusive 
Mm-hmm. Quality quality was represented in you know third wave cafes and and craft coffee shops where you'd go in and you'd have a really wonderful experience where a barista would make you a really nice americano or espresso or pour over or what have you. And in on the convenience side, it was represented by you know drive-throughs where you know people didn't really worry too much about the the quality of the coffee. Or in, you know, the grocery store aisle, it was represented with, you know, coffee-based beverages, which would be like your Starbucks Frappuccino products. There, there was a huge gap between those two things. And our goal has always been to bring those two things together and, and bring the, the sort of like craft quality coffee outside of the cafe walls and make it accessible to consumers in, in places that they've never seen it before. That, that's really at the crux of what we're doing. That, that's it. Which is different than what someone would get in a let's say Starbucks for example someone would order let's say an iced coffee which mm-hmm. to my understanding is simply hot coffee then poured over ice versus cold brew which has a completely different process exactly and that's been a piece of education that we've been working on you know since day 1 and that is traditionally hot coffee or cold uh, iced coffee is brewed hot and chilled in some fashion that temperature change really changes the uh, the profile of the coffee itself, which is why most iced coffee is extremely bitter. If you went into uh, a cafe and ordered an iced coffee, oftentimes it would be very bitter, and that's the reason, which then leads to you know places like Starbucks, where their iced coffee menu has a multitude of different options, most of which have two hundred plus calories, you know ten ingredients, flavors and syrups, and all sorts of things. When you cold brew coffee, you don't use any heat. It's a slow sort of extraction that happens over between 12 and 24 hours. Mm. Ours is, is a roughly an 18-hour process. And because of that slow steeping method, it actually removes a, a lot of the acidity that you, that you find in, in coffee in general. And specifically with iced coffee, it removes a lot of that bitterness. Conceptually speaking, the idea of cold brewing coffee is very simple. You can do it at home very easily. You take ground coffee, you mix it with room temperature to cold water, and you let it sit and soak for about 12 to 24 hours. Mm. Then you strain it out and you've got a cold brew. Sometimes it's a concentrate depending on how you brew it. That being said, to do it well, to do it consistently, and to do it without having the mess you do at home, um, that's why we exist as a business, to take that away from from people and, and create a really consistent, good quality product. What kind of shelf life do you get with a cold brew? So when we first started, we were getting about four to six weeks um, refrigerated. So we were gravity filling bottles by hand, hand sticker. Everything was manual, basically. And because there was there was no sort of like flushing of the bottles with with nitrogen, when 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 the coffee is exposed to oxygen, it actually starts to sour and and creates a flavor profile that I have sort of ingrained in the I have a bit of like PTSD from trying products over the years that has this very particular taste. So we were at about 6 weeks to start. And then once we started scaling a little bit more and we got a bit more equipment, we started to extend that from, you know, anywhere between 3 to 6 months and that that scaled as we went as we started to really understand packaging and manufacturing. And and we've been very adamant on being very careful with our product over the years, working closely with the with the CFIA and with our food scientists to make sure that we're, you know, putting out a product that that doesn't have any health issues. The good thing is is that we don't really use a lot uh, of of ingredients, and there's not a lot of risk for for anything bad to happen. That being said, we've been very cautious. About six or eight months ago, we actually sort of 
um, were able to invest in some equipment that allowed us to really to extend our shelf life to 14 months. And that was something we had been searching for for about three years that didn't impact the quality of the coffee. You know, 99% of consumers won't even know that we changed anything uh, during our process. And that is because we've, we've found something that uh, really, really works. And it's, it's creating a very clean, consistent, uh, and stable product, which has allowed us to, uh, to, to really open up new opportunities in the market. You mentioned CFIA. For those that might not know what that is, what is that? That's the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. So they're the ones that sort of patrol um, the food and beverages, packaged food and beverages that go out on the market. And, and the interesting thing is that cold brew is, it's a new thing. And, you know, they for sure didn't know what to do with it at first. And, and you know, as what we consider being pioneers or leaders in, in the category in Canada, it's been um, very important to us to, to work closely with them, to help them understand uh, the category and to understand what we're doing to make sure that we're sort of creating quality products that, that Canadians f- can feel good and, and confident about putting in their bodies. So as a leader in cold brew, were you guys inspired by any other... Uh, first entrance in the CPG category in the country. Thirsty Buddha is a, is a company we know very well, and they uh, they create fantastic products. And we, we always love seeing our products on shelf next to them. Mm-hmm. You know, Flow Water has done a great job bringing alkaline water to market with a great brand. Again, great Canadian product. Um, Rise Kombucha, um, you know, a beautiful story of a company based in Montreal who's now you know owning the kombucha category in Canada. And then when it comes to cold brew, you know, we were really the first. So, you know, not a lot of inspiration in Canada. That being said, there's some amazing companies in the U.S. who certainly led to uh, inspiring us to to start our company. Um, You know, companies like Chameleon Cold Brew and Stumptown, who have done great stuff in in the U.S., um, helped sort of lead us down our path. Stumptown's also a very cool in-store experience. I've been to the locations in New York City. Coffee's amazing, but the in-store experience is just as good. Um, so highly recommend people to check that out. You know, what's interesting to me, b- besides the inspiration for the brand and the category and everything you guys have built, is the fact that, correct me if I'm wrong, none of you as founders have previous CPG experience. How did you guys get into this? So, yeah, I mean, the the crux of it is that Steve Steve is an entrepreneur and has had a few other businesses. So that that's where his drive came from. Uh, to to sort of like start it when he when mm-hmm. he saw the opportunity after spending some time in New York, you know Mike's background is in coffee and and that's really where he comes from, uh, and then my background's on the branding and marketing side and you know I, I've worked with CPG companies in the past but on on the agency side and and I think what the best thing about it and and I've actually been thinking about this a lot over the past couple of weeks and and partially because we talked about it last time we spoke, I think the naivete that we had as you know the ones starting this company without that experience i think that actually led to a lot of good decisions without having a tremendous amount of fear behind those decisions you know because we didn't really know what we were doing it allowed us to just kind of have fun with it and do what felt right which i truly believe has led to a really authentic and real foundation for something really special and you know i, I i'm starting to see other brands and people in the industry and and most importantly our consumers um give us that feedback and and people who have been drinking our product since day one have have been very loyal towards us and i think that's part of it there's benefits and challenges that that have come from not having that experience the good thing 
uh, is though that we've been able to build an incredible network. You know, some people I've mentioned before, some from some other companies who have really stood tall as you know advisors or support networks when we do have you know really important questions to ask about what to do or how to do it. So I can see how that naivete and fearlessness can be an advantage uh, as a first-time entrepreneur for sure, mm-hmm. but. The downsides, uh, and there must be some hard lessons, right, that you guys have learned uh, along the way. What are some of the things that you wish you knew heading in? Um, You know, the the biggest lesson for me as an entrepreneur, and this is something that Steve helped me understand very early, is, you know, there are going to be some really high highs, but there are also going to be some really low lows. And something that I've like really started to adopt, both in my personal and my professional life, is is that sort of roller coaster and you can visualize it however you want is relentless. And I think it's important to, when you're in those highs to really just appreciate it and think about it and acknowledge yourself and give credit to you and your team and, and and really understand how you got there. And then in those lows, I think it's important to a understand how you got there and, and what you can learn from it. B try not to make those mistakes again. And then C know that it won't last. We've had two circumstances over the past five years that really stand out to me as, um, I don't even know what to call them, but they were there moments in time where I had questions about how it would impact the business. The first of which was we had an incident in our first brewery where um, essentially one of our large tanks, the door on it blew open because mm-hmm. it was poorly manufactured. We had 500 pounds of coffee and and 2000 liters of liquid spill out into our brewery that did not have floor drains. Oh my God. So we got a call one night from our neighbors basically saying there's coffee leaking out from your garage door. (sighs) And for the next, you know, five, six hours, seven hours, we spent squeegeeing, mopping, shoveling coffee grounds. And I remember in that moment, this was about two and a half years ago. I remember in that moment thinking to myself, like how, how are we going to come out of this? And the other one? Uh, the second one was about a year and a half ago, we moved into our new facility and we have about a 2,000, at the time we had about a 2,000 square foot walk-in fridge, which as a product that is always refrigerated because we don't add preservatives to it, the, as you can imagine, the fridge is very important. Well, one long weekend, uh, we went away and came back and the fridge was down and we lost about $30,000 worth of product. Oh man. Uh, that went bad. Now, the most important part for me was the way I personally reacted to the first incident versus the way I reacted to the second was like night and day. Hmm. And that that was sort of, and that came from personal growth. Do you feel like as an entrepreneur, are are there personal practices that you put into place that help you to regulate, I want to say, your emotional reactions to these types of challenges? There's no question. (laughs) I spent a long time on, you know, medication for, for anxiety and depression. Mm. And, you know, about four years ago, I, I came off of that. And it's been a, a journey of, of exactly what I said before with business. It's really high highs and really low lows. Mm. You know, it's experiencing that, that really high high, the joy, the love, the gratitude. And it's the, the low, which is the, you know, sad, depressed, whatever you want to call it. I've learned in both business and professional to to just be in both of those places when they arise and trust that that's exactly where I need to be and that it will come back around and it's a constant 
sort of, like I said, roller coaster. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, not easy to uh, talk about on a podcast if we were to just take the audience or the subset of the audience that are entrepreneurs trying to grow a business that are experiencing uh, anxiety or depression. Are, are there other things that you could share that, that might help? You know, I talk about it very openly and I'm, I'm happy to be talking about it now. And the, and the reason is, is because, uh, you know, it's certainly not because I'm an expert or anything. I've just had my own personal experience and I think it's important to talk about it, um, you know, especially for men and entrepreneurs. Like those are two, um, you know, segments of people who, who I think have, have challenges talking about it. It took me a long time to start talking about it. But the most important thing is that once I did, I realized how important that was and how, um, how healing it was for me. And, and that's mm -hmm. one piece of advice I would give that, that worked for me that may not work for everybody. And it's obviously easier said than done is, is really rely on the people around you. You know, you'd be surprised. Uh, and I'm, I'm fortunate and I'm, I'm grateful to have, you know, a, a wonderful family who are supportive, who I can talk to about things as well as, you know, friends and, and even, you know, my business partners. Um, I, I think it's important to really know that everybody's going through something at some point, whether they're a male or female or entrepreneur or not. And, and, and you'd be surprised when you start talking about something with somebody, the permission it gives them to talk about things they're going through as well which right. only leads to sort of like mutual healing. I just want to say for the record that um, the entrepreneurial lifestyle um, <laughs> in many ways, for those that have never suffered from anxiety, uh, depression, or, or symptoms of such in their lives, um, this is an anxiety-provoking career choice. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, right? that's, for, definitely, that's definitely true. For a layperson. So certainly any suggestions and or habits or techniques beyond communication uh, is going to be helpful for those that are that are trying to grow a business because it is very, very trying. Yeah. And, you know, there's all sorts of tools that, you know, some work for some people, some don't. I like, you know, having having an outlet that allows you to uh, let go of the day to day um, has really helped me. So I, I draw a lot. And that's something that I, I do on the side to allow me to really just forget about everything, including work. Sometimes that goes into work, you know, as we're designing labels and stuff like that. But it's it's something that's really helped me sort of create a, a sense of calm. You know, things like meditation and breath work uh, have helped as well. Okay, amazing. Thank you for that. Shifting gears back to the business for a moment, actually sort of on topic, but, but in a different context, the category of CBD infused beverages, which, which you've indicated that you're eyeing. In a statement you released earlier this year, you said, quote, we firmly as a company believe that non-psychoactive cannabis compound CBD will become a prominent wellness ingredient within the functional beverage space and that coffee is the perfect vehicle to introduce it to consumers. So what is it about coffee versus other beverages like juices that make this an attractive value proposition for you? Yeah, we've identified CBD as just, I, I believe it will be a functional ingredient that will be no different from adding, you know, protein or collagen or uh, probiotics to a beverage. I think there's a there's a big opportunity there as, like I said, a functional ingredient in, in beverage. And, and I think consuming these types of things through beverage is, is great because, you know, it's so ingrained in our in our day to day life. Now, when it comes to coffee, one thing that I've really started to understand is a concept called habit stacking, which mm -hmm. is where 
you know, you take a habit that people already do. If, if you want to introduce a new habit, you stack it on top of another habit. Um, they're more likely to to adopt it if if that's the case. And I can't think of any habit um, greater than than coffee consumption. You know, the, some of the stats are pretty staggering in that. You know, Canadians consume more coffee than I, I think it's their second. I think our country is second in the world per capita on coffee consumption, which is is crazy to think about. But you who's know, first, by the way? I I haven't looked at the studies in a while, truthfully. But it was I, I think it was like Denmark or some mm. small sort of Scandinavian country uh, mm. that was very surprising. But you know. Coffee is so ingrained in our culture, whether it be Tim Hortons or or not. I've always loved the idea of introducing something new like CBD that requires a lot of education, introducing it to uh, to the consumer in a way that might be it might feel comfortable for them. So instead of saying, "Hey, take this oil or these droplets or this pill," why not have something that's already in in a beverage that they want to and already do consume every day? On top of that, um, you know, a lot of people may have the thought. Or the feeling immediately that, well, CBD makes you sleepy and coffee does the opposite. Well, I don't believe that to be true at all. CBD does a lot more than that. It may assist in sleeping. And the reason is, and, and it, it affects everybody differently. And there are different types of CBD of, depending on where they're sourced from and different dosages. So, you know, it's a general statement to say that it does one thing or doesn't do one thing. But it, it doesn't make you sleepy. What it does is it can aid in sleeping because it it will help sort of calm the internal system. At least that's what I've found. And so when it, when you mix it with coffee for somebody, as I mentioned before, with anxiety, I'm not willing to give up my coffee, but I don't ever want to get into a place where I've had too much caffeine or be jittery. So what I do mm -hmm. is when I when I mix CBD with my coffee, it actually works as a bit of a, a balancing act in that I get the function of the caffeine that I want in the morning, but I also have a very calm, focused mind um, that that comes from the CBD. So it's actually a pairing that I personally have had great success with. Interesting. Are there any other trends in the food and beverage space? And we've talked about CBD and functionality, energy drinks, et cetera. What other trends are you seeing? One thing that comes to mind is, is the idea of um, plant-based dairy. So, you know, we, we know that a lot of people are going plant-based, whether that be, you know, partially or fully. I think reducing, you know, things like meat and dairy is is not a bad thing. I'm not saying I'm for or against either. You know, there's there's so many factors. There's ethical factors, there's environmental factors, and there's health factors. Um, the idea of plant-based dairy is something that I've been in learning a lot about. And there there's no better plant-based dairy to mix with with coffee than than oat milk. So, you know, there's almond milk, soy milk, rice milk, cashew milk, macadamia milk, there's even sesame milk now. But nothing blends and mixes better with coffee than oat milk. Um, it's a huge trend right now. Um, the texture is unparalleled, uh, again, in the plant-based sector. Um, it is the closest thing to like real cream or dairy in terms of texture. I think the taste blends perfectly with coffee, especially our coffee. And there's a lot of cold brew companies in the U.S. who have already identified oat milk as, as a great pairing w with cold brew. In addition to all of that, 
um, the environment environmental impact is is drastic. So just for perspective, I think it's about uh, seven times more water is used to grow the same amount of almonds than it is oats. So when you think about the environment environmental impact, as well as the flavor and the texture, then it, it seems like a, a really perfect opportunity for us. So we are working on some products with oat milk as well in the future. Interesting. Yeah. I got to ask you about Bulletproof for a second, mm-hmm. which to be clear is a mm-hmm. brand uh, in, in the same way that Kleenex is, right? So they've done an amazing job of, of making their brand synonymous with coffee mixed with MCT oil and, and grass-fed uh, unsalted butter, I think is the third ingredient. Were they an influence at all for you guys? I would say that Bulletproof has been sort of on the sidelines in terms of influence. I I, I, I love what they've done with the brand. Um, I think, uh, you know, Dave Asprey has done a great job at helping people learn about what's possible. Anytime a brand is able to do exactly what you just said, the fact that it's called or most people call it Bulletproof Coffee, but that's the brand. That means you've done something right from a branding and marketing perspective. Um, I think the product itself, I've I've tried it myself. Personally, the the high dairy content did not sit well with me. You know, there, there's a few things to Bulletproof. So adding in the dairy is for uh, the good fats. And then the MCT oil is for sort of cognitive enhancement. Um, when you blend it all together, it's it's, you know, proven to to have impact on on focus and all these types of things. And I I did actually feel that during sort of my trial periods, but from a from a health perspective, it, it just wasn't sitting well with me. I, I do think it's a really intriguing product. I think that there's a lot of value to what they've they've brought to the market, and 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 people see that and people swear by it. But I think one of the biggest challenges with these types of things or fad diets in general, you know, you can talk ketogenic diet is a perfect example. Is when you hear about all of these stories of people, you know, feeling their best they've ever been or not lost 90 pounds, it's, 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 a, it's a large generalization. And the truth is, is that every single human being is different and reacts different to different things. And I don't think that it's fair to uh, generalize in that way because then people sort of fall into that trap and, and think that that's going to be the sort of holy grail for them and their quest to feel better about themselves. You know, and I think that's part of the challenge. That being said, those types of trends open up our opportunities for businesses like ours. So it's kind of a, a bit of a catch 22. But, you know, overall, Bulletproof has done a great job. I think they've got they've got a good line of products. And for those people who who do sort of have butter coffee or bulletproof coffee. I know a lot of people who swear by it. So I have, I have no problems with it. I think one of the interesting things or one of the cool things that that company has done specifically is just increase the overall awareness of the benefits of drinking good quality coffee. Yes. And making people understand that not all coffee is equal. Uh, not all caffeine is equal. Obviously, you know, the way the beans are sourced uh, and washed and processed and roasted impacts, right? The quality of the coffee that you're drinking and how you'll feel after you drink it, which I guess only benefits brands like yours with quality at the forefront. For sure. There's no question. And I think that's a great point. They've, they've done a great job at that. Also, speaking of branding, you guys have done an incredible job with your branding and uh, in your site, which I think for most people, when they visit, stationcoldbrew.com will sort of feel like this 
this kind of feels like a craft beer company. Yeah, I mean, when we started, we we had this idea of bringing together three three industries to help sort of drive our business and our brand: craft beer, traditional CPG or beverage, and, and then coffee. And I I think we sort of lie at the intersect of all of those things. Um, Steve likes to draw sort of a Venn diagram to to visualize it, but I'm sure you can do that on on your own. And, you know, for me on the marketing and branding side, there's no question that craft beer has been an inspiration. You know, a lot of aspects of our business are inspired by the craft beer worlds. Um, and that is from sourcing really great ingredients and making sure that the quality is there to the equipment we use. A lot of the equipment is either directly from the craft beer industry or fabricated from people, uh, manufacturers making equipment for the craft beer industry. You know, the canning line that we use is built for craft beer. Uh, we've just adjusted it to to can the product that we want uh, to our specifications. Uh, and then most importantly, the design and aesthetic of the brand, both from a packaging and, uh, you know, digital to all of, all of the other aesthetic elements, they're all inspired by the craft beer world. And uh, I spend a lot of time, uh, you know, when I... When I get lost on Instagram, even just personally, most of it is exploring packaging options and getting inspired by, you know, great design and, and great packaging. And our designer that we've had with us from the beginning has done an incredible job at working with me to bring my vision to life. And, uh, you know, I, we constantly get feedback on our brand. And, and it's important because, you know, when we're selling to major grocery stores, we have about two and a half seconds to get the consumer's attention to even have them pick up the can and look at the ingredients or read what it says on the side and then try to get them to actually purchase it. We know that once they purchase it, they'll be happy with the product because we're really focused on that quality, but they have to get to that point. And it only, it starts with the way the brand and the product looks on shelf. And speaking of grocery chains, so you're, you're in Whole Foods, you're in Metro and Loblaws, correct? Correct. Uh, as well as Sobeys, Farm Boy, Goodness Me. A lot of them are Ontario based. Most of our business is on, in Ontario right now, but we are available across the country. We're working on building our presence out west. There are a few major grocery chains that we've we've been tracking down. Um, and then we're also available in 7-Eleven across the country. And we're, we're growing at a, at a really rapid pace. And you know, we've had some really, really interesting conversations with some major, uh, major opportunities lately, which is really exciting for us. So when you think about expansion, do you think about simply more adding more grocery chains to the mix or new markets or both? How do you think about it? Um, I think it's, it's both. If you had asked me a, a year and a half or two years ago, I was only worried about how many stores sell our product. What is mm -hmm. the number of doors you're in. That's like the term we use. But if if you ask me now, I'm much more focused on where are the right places to sell and are we doing the right things to support and drive sales? That's something that's become very clear as we added some senior people to our, our sales team this year. You, you know, I, I don't think we, we had the efficiency that we have now with the customers we were already selling in. And that comes with, you know, demos in store and being on on promotion to drive people to purchase the product, you know, being in flyers, supporting through social media. There's there's a lot of different things that have helped take the places we're already in and increase our sales just through creating those efficiencies. So I'm not sold on the number of doors anymore. It's 
being a little more strategic. And also, there must be challenges with respect to listing fees and uh, initial inventory commitments with some of these chains. For sure. I think that we've been very fortunate on the, on the latter part, the inventory comment. Um, we've been very fortunate in that um, because what we talked about before about extending our shelf life, that, that gives us a lot more room to play mm-hmm. um, and changes the dialogue with, with the, the retailers. Um, and secondarily, because we manufacture our product, we are pretty much making to order. We're, we're doing our best to make sure that everything sent out is fresh. And the truth is, is that it is. Everything that is sent out is is produced within a couple of weeks for the most part, which which is great because we actually have the the opportunity to manage that. Now, if I were to work with a co-packer, a lot of them have minimums of 100,000 units where you get it produced and then you just sit on it and hope you sell it. We've been we've been fortunate to get around that. In regards to listing fees, that is there's no question that's a huge challenge. You know, it's very different in Canada than the US. Listing fees are a very prominent thing. I even, you know, we're we're exploring an opportunity with a a new convenience store today and then they're telling me it's going to be, you know, $10,000 per SKU uh, just to get it listed. So we have to weigh the options of, okay, well, what is, what are the projections look like? You know, how many stores, how many, how many units per week are we going to sell? And does that make sense for us to invest that money up front to get there? And, and for a smaller business, um, you know, just having that cash up front is, is not easy, but you have to outweigh, you have to weigh the opportunity versus that upfront cost. So how have you funded the business so far? So we've, uh, we did Dragon's Den a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, up until that point, we were completely self-funded. Uh, when we did Dragon's Den, we got a deal. We didn't actually take the deal for no reason other than just not seeing eye to eye. We had some wonderful conversations after the show itself. We did end up taking a little bit of money. We'll call it a seed round with um, sort of like friends and family. We raised a bit of money to help build our new brewery. Uh, but for the most part, other than that, we are completely self-funded. We've we've worked with a few different banks, but on a very small scale, and you know we've been pretty. Uh, we'll call it scrappy in bootstrapping our way to where we are right now. Uh, that being said, because of things like listing fees and innovation, and growing the category and investing in marketing and and people, that's become a very big priority for us. Uh, we've identified that we are in a really great place to continue to grow this brand outside of just cold brew coffee. You know, we are building what I believe to be a platform for functional beverages uh, and the name station. Uh, my goal as a brand is to build a brand house in that we will produce cold brew coffee under the brand station, but we will also move into the iced tea category and the latte category. And then who knows what we'll do from there, which you've already done. Yeah. Leave, so right. You, yeah. Iced tea is available, correct? We're launching our iced tea in about a week. Um, so okay. we're early, early October, um, which is which is really exciting. And, and, you know, what's really exciting about it is it's not a traditional iced tea. We're actually using what's called cascara, which is actually what people don't realize is coffee is a fruit. The seed of the fruit is the coffee bean. The rest of it or the skin around it is called cascara. Hmm. And uh, it's actually for centuries just been kind of tossed away to compost or to to livestock. But what, what we've realized, and, and we're not the first to do this, there's some companies in the U.S. doing it, um, making hot tea out of cascara. It's really rich in antioxidants. It has a ton of potassium, and the flavor profile is, is, is amazing. So we realized we could purchase this, this resource from the farmers that we're already purchasing coffee from. We can help support the farms. We can tell this beautiful story of upcycling this product. 
and it's rich in, in nutrients and tastes great, it's a no-brainer for us. We're using the same supply chain and all of the same equipment that we're that we currently use for our cold brew. And we're really, really excited to keep pushing keep pushing innovation, do something different, move into a new category, um, and 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 keep things fresh. You know, as we continue to grow our team, finding people who who believe in the same thing and who are, are working alongside us is it's something that I five years ago I certainly wouldn't didn't know where we were going with this. Just kind of jumped in, and you know to think about what five years from now would look like. I, I think the the possibilities are really endless, which is which is very exciting. Congratulations on on all you guys have built so far on the growth and everything that lies ahead. Stationcoldbrew.com. for those that want to try this product and taste how good this cold brew is. Where can they find it? Um, we are available in, uh, like I said, Metro, Sobeys, Healthy Planet, Goodness Me, Whole Foods, Farm Boy, 7-Eleven. Uh, on our website, we do have a store finder, so you can actually put in your postal code and, and see where to get it. Uh, on our Instagram, at Station Cold Brew, we're always talking about where you can find our product. Um, and then we've got sort of, you can always reach out to us at info at station cold brew or, or on Instagram as a direct message as well. And we'll be happy to direct you in the right, in the right place. And on Twitter at, at station cold brew. This is awesome, man. Thanks so much, Mitch, for coming on. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. E2 is brought to listeners in part by Scriberbase. Visit scriberbase.com for more info. Indochino made to measure suits and shirts at a great price. More at Indochino.com. And WeWork, where businesses thrive. More at WeWork.com. If you like E2, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume your audio. Leave us a review. Even become an exclusive supporter of the show. Visit glow.fm slash E2 to do so. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electricast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric acid. Electric acid.